Hello there, everybody. This is the first time you've heard this voice in a while. So, months ago, I had mentioned that this year was going to be tough for time management and so many other things. And so, I wanted to start with just a word of honesty of, I don't know officially that I am able to continue to produce the podcast on even a bi-weekly basis, as evidenced by the lack of episodes this year. And so again, I do want to give some context. So my children have reached an age that most of my evenings are either at the softball field or at this, that, or the other, and it really is difficult to do it. And, and for those of you that know me personally, and there are a few that listen that do, if I do something, I have to do it right. There's no halfway. And so I've kicked around so many different options for the show and, um, I'm not officially canceling it, but I don't know what it will look like or when it will look like. I've got a bunch of ideas. None of them are fully baked, and I don't know when they will be. But this here um, is kind of an official but unofficial announcement of what the future kind of looks like. So I do not know how many more episodes there will be, even this year. Eventually, there will come a time when I find a way or find a, a different voice to continue to have conversations about things that we need to be able to speak about in our faith bodies. But I don't know what that looks like. And so for those of you that continue to support the show, I do appreciate that. I want you to know where that money is going. And so the costs for the show are minimal with the frequency at which I am doing the show. And so after those costs are are covered on a monthly basis, the rest of that I'm literally donating to the Trevor Project. And so um, there are some expenses that are fixed costs uh, that I will continue to pay whether or not the show uh, is, is coming out with new episodes or not, because to not pay them would cause years of conversations to just go away and not be accessible. And that's not a thing that I'm going to do. And so for those of you that continue to support, I appreciate it. I also owe a word of apology to Tammy Spencer Helms. So we recorded this episode that you're about to hear many months ago, and then a lot of things happened in the world and in my work schedule. Uh, And to be fair, I did warn her that it may be some time before, um, before it released. I did not really intend it to be this much time. And so with the help of a good friend uh, who graciously edited this for me, uh, this is the episode, and so I really do hope that you enjoy this episode. The What Does God uh, Conversation episode, that's also going to be coming. Uh, but I want to be clear, it may not be next Monday, because there's close to 100 tracks on those episodes, and that is a significant amount of work, and I'm not going to ask my friend to do that. It's just too much work. So, I appreciate you hanging in there with me. I appreciate those of you whom have reached out, texted, emailed, (laughs) send messages saying, hey, is everything good? Everything is good. But in my life right now, I've got work and family and the podcast and friends and something had to give. Uh, And so thank you for allowing me to let it to be this. If you will go back in the episodes very, very far back, I remember it because I wrote a script for it. The very first few lines was a podcast of indeterminate length. And, uh, and so that's, that's where we're at. We're at the indeterminate part. 
But with that, I um, wanted to thank you for hanging in there with me. And here we go. A conversation on her book, Faith Unleavened, with Tamie Spencer-Helms. Here we go. To me, Spencer Helms. Yes. Welcome to the game. Welcome to the podcast. Um, I think you're episode two of the year and oh. it is April. So I'm horrible at being a podcast host, but that's okay because um, it's my show, right? So I guess that's okay. I should probably record a video that tells people I am not dead. I haven't fallen off the face of the earth. <laughs> it's okay. It's going to be fine. Um, but I feel like the people that know me have already emailed me. So yeah. uh, we'll call that good. But welcome to the show. Thank um, you. How are you? I'm good. I am. It has been a very eventful process, writing and releasing a book. I'm I'm learning a lot. Mm, what are you uh, learning? I'm just learning about um, what it means to really believe um, that something that you create is worth promoting. Mm. I, I think there was this weird idea I had about... Um, how am I going to promote this book? But then I realized, like, this is my story. It's the honest truth of my life. And so I, there's nothing to be ashamed of. And I think I did a really good job writing it. And so that's been a shift of being able to go into spaces and say, this is a work, a book that is worth reading. And I'm really proud of it. And I think you'll like it. Mm. Um, yeah. So that's what I mean. It's It's been interesting to kind of feel myself coming into my coming into my own in a way. Yeah. So if you were to say, this is what a Tamise Spencer Helms is, what is that? Like, put put words to that, which is a nice, vague question okay. for 930 at night, right? Why not? I feel like I'm the the last person, like, kind of getting off the sinking boat that's, like, waiting for, like, I'm, I'm the person rowing the last ship. Like, if this was the Titanic, like, I'm the last lifeboat. Like, I'm going to wait for you all, but I'm not staying on a sinking ship. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and I feel like that's kind of always been my, um, my posture of thinking about who's not here, um, but also feeling like I want to make sure that I never become like the people that were hurtful to me. And so I think that the the way that I kind of try to stave that off is by trying not to assassinate character, not to make caricatures of people in general, not to make generalized statements about folks. Mm. Uh, and then to really think through like what matters. I know that for me in leaving kind of white evangelicalism, it's it's not like I wasn't embedded in that space. And so I know what matters to a lot of people. And I really tried to take the time um, to write in a way that is a gentle leading out of the toxicity. Mm. Um, and so I think I see myself as that person, uh, which is not a role that a lot of people want to play. I mean, some people are like, you were too soft on some things, or you should have said this a little bit more boldly. Uh, and I'm just like, I'm just going to be me. Yeah. Uh, I know that there are a lot of sincere people who are, who are kind of like, they can't sleep at night, right? Like at this point in evangelicalism, a lot of folks are losing sleep. And I think for me, I want to say, hey, that's okay. Like you can trust um, 
that Jesus will be behind, you know, every door and mm -hmm. that it's okay to leave and that you can trust. And, and I'm hoping that what the book does is give the courage and the permission uh, that people need to kind of get up and, and get out. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So you took that and you like blended the book and you. So I want to ask the question again, because I think it's good for a little bit of palate. So let me say what I mean when I say palate. So like, um, so I'm from Texas. I believe you are either from Richmond or you live in Richmond. Both. Yep. <laughs> sure. Perfect. So I'm actually, I'm talking to you from Charlottesville today. So actually I didn't know, I don't think I realized that you were in Richmond. And so we're gonna have to figure out a way to to yeah, shake hands right. if you want. I'm, I'll be in Richmond tomorrow, actually. Oh, really? Um, 100%. I'm in Richmond about once a week, every week. Um, oh, but we can talk about that in, in, when, when, when we're done in a minute. Um, but we that, that seems an easy thing to fix. Um, but like, so palate lies, like, like there's Virginia Mexican food, and yeah. then there's Texas Mexican food, and I'm going to be real, Virginia doesn't have Mexican food. And so what I asked you what a Tamis is, and yeah. you told me what the book was. Yeah. Tell me what you are. I am a fat, black, queer, non-binary woman. <laughs> that works. That works. <laughs> so. And I'm trying to navigate living the intersections of those and, and loving Jesus. So I think what it means to be me is a person who is um, grounded in light, mm -hmm. my own light, actually, mm -hmm. um, and, and fearless about my goodness. Um, I think that's what it means to be me. Um, that works. That works for me. Yeah. Yeah. You you made it like harder than it needed to be to me. No, that's yeah, fine. That's bad. fine. <laughs> I took, no, I took no. that a little bit. <laughs> no, no. You, so so what I like about your writing, and mm. um, and I also was was delinquent in getting back my little blurb to them. So I don't know if you ever saw my blurb, but it was a it was a privilege to read your book. Um, mm. and so something you should know about me, I don't have a person on the show to talk about a book that I've not read. Because mm. I find that I find that disrespectful. So mm. um, disrespectful for everybody's time because because words matter. Yeah. Um, so you like seem to straddle uh, a sphere of a person practicing faith in a, in a real way, yes. but also a person like like you use words that that most people don't like. Let's just say like you know dogma and and dispens. I'm not going to say dispensation. Like like theological words. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, and so I want to start with a question for your book, because yeah. I know there may be people that haven't read it. Um, and so there are a lot of books about walking through faith and coming out differently. Um, but I like the way that you talk on the Internet, the way that you uh, speak about um, faith overall in the book. And so I want to play a bit with the metaphor of unleavened. A little yeah. bit because that's bread and let's be honest most people listen to this aren't catholic i don't know what unleavened bread let's just let's just not let's not play it's it's either manna or it's it's for real bread yes. nature's own honey wheat as bread was intended from jesus um so play with that a bit with me like what is unleavened and how does that relate to this and then ultimately where i'm going with this is how has writing this book actually changed the way that you do faith i don't mean church i mean faith and, and those are two different things for me yeah. Um, but, but start with unleavened to begin with, because that's a word that we only use at Easter. And so it's appropriate. We're recording this a week before Easter. So um, so when I think about unleavened, there are a couple of things that popped out. So there was this point in 2015 where I felt God spoke to me and said that uh, they were the bread um, and that 
um, led me on this journey of realizing that something had been added to what I was given. Um, and so when I thought about that and thought about the idea of unleavened bread, and I was taking a lot of the communion, I was thinking about the fact that Egypt was responsible, like ancient Egypt is responsible for leavening bread. Um, and so when God calls those people out, that mixed multitude of people out of bondage, the words that are spoken is leaven can't come. You cannot bring that. So there was something to me in terms of the visual and the metaphor that um, God is saying, I want you to bake your bread without leaven and I'm going to take you out to the wilderness and I'm going to free you from Egypt. But that leaven is, is significant to Egypt because they created it. So to me, it feels like the leaven in white evangelicalism is, is white supremacy. Um, and it is this sort of invisible agent that animates everything else, even Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, and so for me as a black person, um, trying to worship white Jesus who mm -hmm. is animated by white supremacy and that white supremacy is predicated on anti-blackness. So how on earth am I supposed to really have an authentic relationship uh, with a savior that hates my skin? Mm. Um, so it just, it became a conundrum for me. And to me, unleavening that means to uh, recognize and extract whiteness from the ways I think about God, um, the ways I think about myself, ways I think about pretty much everything. And that's really hard to do um, in a country um, that was built on the technology of whiteness, like whiteness mm. built America. Mm. Um, and so to do American Christianity um, without whiteness is real um, flat and unpretentious, like, you know, unleavened bread. So faith looks real simple for me now. Mm. Um, you know, it's not so shiny. It's not bells and whistles. It's that like, I believe that God is actually kind and actually merciful um, I believe that people are beautiful and not intrinsically dark and evil. Mm. Um, I think, um, that those were the things that changed for me the most with that. Those were the things that like were the launch pads for me that like, actually, I'm going to actually trust that God is kind and see what happens. Mm. I'm going to actually trust that like God likes me like I am, um, and see what happens. And turns out that, I didn't have to stop following Jesus, but I was willing to, because I wasn't willing, um, I wasn't willing to deny any parts of myself uh, in the name of following white Jesus. Hmm. Um, but turns hmm. out I didn't have to, I didn't have yeah. to. Yeah. There's a line in your book and I'm going to come back to that last question about how it's changed you. We'll probably save that for last. Why not? Cause it's a big question. Um, I've, I've tried to in the past to write stories about how my faith has changed from growing up in, you know, Western Texas and then, heading off to Liberty, um, you know, and then just getting out of school and being like, y'all lied to me, but this, this episode is not about me. I've yet to record one about me and I don't know that I will because I can't put it to words. And so I don't know how you did or how people that write like you do are able to, because I don't really want to deal with a lot of that trauma again. Instead, I started a podcast to kind of uh, what do you call it? Vicariously deal with, <laughs> deal with trauma, yes. <laughs> a shared collective of 300 episodes of trauma. Um, but there's a line, it's like page 30 or something like that is what my notes have, but I read it on a Kindle. So 
It might yeah. not be the right page. But you have a line in there that says white. So you're talking about like the church that you grew up with in your family mm-hmm. and then a church um, where you're kind of, you know, educated on white Jesus. But there's a line there. And I really want you to rip apart one or two like specific instances for this for me, if you can. You say white Jesus taught me that my family's church had weak theology and mm-hmm. couldn't feed me anymore. What is like one or two things when you say weak theology, like what do you mean? Like, can you flesh that out a bit? Sure. Like um, something as simple as like um, the type of preaching, right? Expository preaching was the way to preach the Bible. Well, the Bible wasn't preached like that at my parents' church, but I was told that this is the sound way to teach the Bible. Um, their theology being weak in terms of them believing that, hey, like Black Lives Matter, maybe, or that like um, even political choices that they would make and the, like what would lead somebody to be a Democrat is weak theology. Um, mm. And so there were just kind of subtle hints that like m- mature Christians are conservatives they are people who read ESV. <laughs> um, they attend <laughs> churches where the the teaching is expository and, and the worship is, we only sing certain types of worship songs because we want to honor and worship and lift Jesus high, where, you know, the songs in my parents' church were kind of low. You could feel them in your body, in your frame. They talked about actual lived experience. Um, and so, going to white churches and learning about white Jesus, it made it seem like everything that was happening in my parents' church was was an act. It was um, theatrical and over the top um, preaching styles. And, and that part really is re- I, something I really regret uh, because I, I wish I would have paid attention to what was actually being said to me in those days mm. when I left my parents' church. Because uh, I think it would have saved me a lot of heartache, to be honest. Mm. But yeah, mm. like theology where, you know, they just weren't, they weren't doing conservative Christianity in a lot of ways. That was what they meant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So to summarize there, you can be a Christian and not be Republican. That's, that's, that's mm-hmm. what I'm hearing. That's, that's okay. Shocker. <laughs> yeah. Um, all my friends in Texas just, just, <laughs> just jettisoned out the entire thing there. Um so I want to, uh, you, you'll see that I bounce around back and forth. Um, I try, I try to ask questions to me that are not in the book jacket that I'm not confident that was, I don't know. Um, but I don't like to ask the same questions everyone else asks. Um, yeah. But I'm confident that you've, you've had this question asked. And so the cover of the book yeah. is the wilderness between Trayvon Martin and George Floyd. Yeah. And so how do those two fit in? Um, to someone that is coming out of, um, I'm just going to call it what I felt like it was when I was reading the book. Um, You were lied to and so was I about what it is to follow Jesus and what it is to live in community with each other, what Mm -hmm. it is to be political in your faith in a way that you and I are a politic, Mm -hmm. not a a dogma necessarily. How How does Trayvon Martin and George Floyd fit into the way that you and I should do faith? Yeah, I that is, I have not gotten that question. Really? It's on the cover. Come on, people. Not like, how does this fit into how we do faith? That's a profound question. Um, Well, I think I can talk about for me and then maybe hopefully I can get to a more generalized statement. But uh, Trayvon was minding his own business 
walking home, taking his brother some candy and a neighborhood watch person or a self-appointed neighborhood watch person uh, decides to follow him because there was a series of break-ins in the neighborhood and blah, blah, blah. And the guy looks suspicious because he's wearing a hoodie and it's raining. And I think the idea that we could know all of those facts, we could even hear 911 recordings where they say, don't pursue this boy, don't follow him, we've got it, um, and still be in church and people still be like, well, the law is the law, justice prevails, um, let's not jump to conclusions, let's wait for facts, like stand your ground is the law. Um, maybe it was self-defense. We don't know. We weren't there. And I'm going, this kid is unarmed. And I remember when they, you know, they used a slab of concrete in court and they were like, well, no, he used the sidewalk as a weapon. And how all of these white people looked like I'm doing worship and ministry with these people. And I'm like, are you all serious right now? That moment for me um, was the wake up call. It was the... um the kind of the last tear for me that ripped the whole thing open uh, because it was so the mental acrobatics and the language before that, even during Obama, I mean, the, the language people were using, you, you could say that maybe it was just like Islamophobia, right? Like it wasn't um, so clear that it was because he was black. I was steeped in whiteness though. So I was like, well, it's not a black thing. It's a, no, it's a fidelity of the faith thing. Um, but when Trayvon happens, I start to realize what all of that was, that, that all of this white supremacy was kind of embedded in the ways that I even um, mourned the death of people or the ways that I viewed my the progress of my own people. So the fact that I'm like sitting here and realizing I didn't vote for Obama because they told me he was an antichrist and I believed it. Mm-hmm. And I told my family that. And I start having like a lot of, uh, it was just like a lot of embarrassment, remorse, because it was very clear to me, especially in 2016, the difference. Like y'all didn't believe none of that crap y'all were saying. (laughs) This was never about uh, fidelity to the faith. This is because the man was black. Mm. So for me, what do I do now? I'm surrounded by people. My faith gets turned upside down because I'm surrounded by people who say they hear the heartbeat of God, um, that we are the friends of the bridegroom, uh, that Jesus has this intimate relationship with us and we hear him clearly. And Jesus isn't talking about Trayvon. What? (laughs) Like, so to me, it was like, it was a devastating blow. And to me, it started the wilderness journey for me because it was the first time I started to think about, I don't know if I can do Christianity um, Mm. because I can't make this okay. Then you get to George Floyd and the amount of um, really horrific experiences I had with white friends from from Trayvon to George And it was kind of like George Floyd happens. And at that point I had had so much happen in life that I was just like, I don't even care what y'all think. I wasn't even, I was not even checking for white people during George Floyd, but it seemed like George Floyd was the Trayvon wake up call for a lot of white people who had been kind of silent for that, you know, that former eight years. Um, But to me, it was a different 
response. Everybody that was white was up in arms and I was, you know, drinking a smoothie and praying the way that I had learned to pray in an unleavened way. Um, and so it was just a very different, the ways that Trayvon and George um, hit me uh, was the way that I saw like, hey, they actually book in the process. Um, and I just didn't realize that that had happened. So I'm not even sure that answers your question. Um, uh, but if I didn't answer it, you could just ask me again. No, no, it's fine. So the, the, I, I don't know. I, I know that I ask questions in a weird way. Um, but it, it's me. So, um, yeah. So I want to ask, I want to rip apart a sentence that I believe are your words, but it also is next to like subtitle, like 60, 68, 67, something like that. So it could be someone else's words that you're using as well, but I feel like it's you, but it's in. I don't know, about 50% of the way through the book, there's a part where you're like deconstructing white Jesus. And I want, I want to land the plane on that, but I don't want to talk about white Jesus. I would rather talk about Jesus. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to write, I'm going to read what you wrote, if it's all right for me to read your words back to you. But then yeah. I would like to just talk about, all right, so that's that. Yeah. And so what is Jesus? And so you like you, you rip apart white Jesus. You, you go all the way through manifest destiny, colonialist, imperialism, um, I don't remember you saying the word papal bulls, but that's been, and we talked about that on the show in the past. Like there's all these other things here, but then you say this white Jesus cannot claim a place, a people or a culture because white Jesus isn't rooted anywhere. He's imaginary. He's a symbol that power, he's a symbol that people empower co-op to suit their purposes. And then I could keep going, but I won't, I agree with you. And so that is a concept I get. So what is Jesus then? Because in a minute, we're about to have Easter. We're going to talk about death and resurrection. Like, Good Friday is tomorrow. Like, mm -hmm. I, I, I got goosebumps. Like, I'm not playing. Um, so that's white Jesus. And that's not what I'm going to church to do. So I'm, you can preach if you want. <laughs> what is Jesus? Yeah, like, like the who of Jesus for me is Josh. His name is Joshua. And he's from Nazareth. <laughs> um, and I think that even that in and of itself is enough to kind of jostle you like, okay, this is a, a historical person who had a real time and place um, that he lived and that he, you know, what's interesting is I just learned this from, from um, Jared McKenna. He talked about how um, we often, we don't get Jesus's jokes. <laughs> And I'm like, you're right. He was like, there are so many pietist people out here telling jokes that don't make Jesus laugh. And um, what he was talking about in terms of, of that is that Joshua, the Nazarene, rides in, you know, and he comes in on a donkey from the east, but he's coming into a city where people of power come in from the west. And so he's it's a clash happening here. There is a, a clash of empire and kingdom of leaven and unleavened. I mean, these are he is he is bringing this stuff to bear. And I've been thinking a lot about this, Seth. I don't know, like I don't really bring a lot of that theology into the ways I think about Jesus. And so I'm I'm getting a homegrown Christology right now mm. um, as I'm rereading the, the gospels. And it really is that the state will kill you if you choose love. Um, mm -hmm. It's that simple. Like, it's like 
you know, I don't want to take away from the beauty of the meaning of Jesus, but like what actually happened is that this man got a whole bunch of people to start resisting the status quo. Mm -hmm. um, and he upset a lot of stuff. Number two, he didn't have that many followers. It wasn't like he was not an evangelical pastor on a conference circuit. Like he had a, a few homies that he rolled with. So the story in and of itself is very small and, 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 and relatively um, unsexy. <laughs> when mm -hmm. you like really think about Joshua the Nazarene and these like 12 guys that were with him and the women that followed and all of those things. Um, so Joshua the Nazarene to me is just uh, another instance of divine wisdom and light making itself known that you will either choose the way of Cain or you will choose the way of God. And to me, he embodies the same choice that was made in the garden. And so the meaning of Jesus is about uh, choosing vulnerability and choosing curiosity, um, whereas empire is about choosing exploitation at the expense of curiosity and cultivation. And I think that for me, it's inevitable. You think of Martin Luther King Jr. You think of all of the people who have ever confronted any kind of system. Um, they're either dead or canceled. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I think that in that way, we can kind of bring it down some. I hope that this, like for me, this Easter, it's not so uh, lofty. It's real earthy to me this year. Like this man was killed because he basically confronted the powers. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's 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 not it's not something that we, but it's not something that my family had done before. But this year, we're just thinking about it like that, like. Obviously, you know, you're not you're not hanging on a tree and all of those things. But I think living into queerness, living into way, living into nonviolence, living into all of that stuff, you go the way of Christ. Um, and so that means that you experience it <laughs> like you experience uh, what Christ experienced. And some people are known enough to have it be something that is extremely violent, um, like Dr. King. But other people just lose clout. They lose um, family, they lose, mm -hmm. um, titles, positions, yeah. they lose money. I, my whole, um, my whole way of thinking about Jesus has changed because now when I experience that kind of loss by not choosing in to the empire of America, um, it makes worship sweeter for me. Uh, and so that's what I'm celebrating in terms of resurrection that like, there is no way to live unless you die. Mm. Um, and so I think there's a metaphor there, but Joshua the Nazarene was just killed because he spoke out against the powers, <laughs> like you know. And it's okay to to let that be that and not make it all the extra things because I think we miss that. Um, clearly, we miss that. I mean, January sixth. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. There. Um. I don't know that I'd ever paid attention to that section of him riding in from the east. Um, yeah. But I will say. Uh, the scripture is full of those little things. Like yeah. if you know to look for them, like uh, this isn't in your book, but like um, one of the things I picked up from a friend, um, like talking about Jonah, where he's mm -hmm. like, I'm going to go this way. He says, West, like I'm going to go West. Like conceptually West was like, I will leave the planet before mm -hmm. I go to Nineveh. Cause those people I don't, they can die. 
I yeah. don't care. I'm not going to do it. Like he didn't go geography wise, Wes. Like, no, I'm telling you, I ain't going. I would rather be dead than go talk to these people. And like um, my pastor uh, years ago, he's not at my church anymore, but I remember him t- preaching a sermon about, um, you know, turning the other cheek. And he's like, it is not about compassion. It's not about getting beat. It was about elevating someone's station to that of being equal. He's like, because if you slap open hand, now you and I, we sit at the same table at the same time. But you slap backhand, that's how you slap somebody that's beneath you. So you can slap me backhand. That's fine to me. But here, hit this one too. Hit it. Please hit it. Mm-hmm. Or, or in the words of Toby, try Jesus, but don't try me. Hit this one. <laughs> hit, hit this one. <laughs> But I can't, uh, uh, I can't throw hands, down. but, but, um, <laughs> um <laughs> that, I love that song. I listen to that song on repeat on bad days at work. I get in the car and I'm like, yes, I need this in my life. That's, uh, <laughs> oh my God. That man is a minister. Um, so how, so I want to ask you a question that's deeply personal. I don't, how do you write a book that where you talk about, so so there's a, a section where you talk about in a, in a chapter, I think it's called shopping cart. Is that the, no, it's, I, I don't know what the chapter is, but the section of the chapter is shopping carts mm-hmm. that ripped me apart. Like, I don't know that I would be willing to write words about a wedding, about therapy, about, so here, here's the question. How do you write a book dealing with some of your trauma and not relive that trauma and then still come out smiling about it like you are right now? Like, I don't conceptually understand that, but I'll also tell you this, my wife would agree. I don't do well with emotions. I'm a very logical person. That's probably why I do what I do for a living. Like, give me the numbers and I'll tell you how to solve the problem. Don't come at me with emotions. So it was hard for me to read a lot of your book, but Mm -hmm. I respect you for it. How do you do that though? And then also, can you kind of walk through the concept of the shopping cart? Because the way that you rip that apart and how it, how it relates to disassociation or dissociate. I don't know what word that is. I don't know how to say that word. It doesn't matter. Um, yeah, if you could do that for me. Yeah, shocking cards. That was a hard chapter. Um, how do you write about it? I mean, I just, I I wrote what happened. I yeah. I had to tell the truth. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm a three on the Enneagram. And so for me, uh, losing reputation uh, was really scary and something I really wanted to avoid. Um, but I lied to people. I lied to students. I lied on Instagram. I lied about my marriage. I lied about what I was experiencing. And I felt like there was a need for me personally to say that this was wrong. What happened to me? I did not deserve what happened to me, but also this happened, um, in a, it didn't happen in a vacuum. I was conditioned to think that this was okay. I was conditioned to stay in this um, because I was already experiencing narcissistic abuse from white Jesus. <laughs> so it was like, I didn't, you know, and so was my ex. <laughs> I mean, so it's not like um, the experiences that I had in that um, and talking about my marriage, it was important because I threw a massive party. My wedding was lit. Um, And so thinking about being honest about that was difficult in the sense that I didn't want to make it seem like I wasn't appreciative of like my parents' money and all those people who flew, but also guys, I wasn't there. I was dissociated. Mm -hmm. I I, like knew that this guy might be 
not the best, but we had already paid for the venue. I mean, there's so many things that paralleled that. And I was hoping that for some people they could see this parallel because I think that they that we think about that in terms of our faith as well. Like we know something is wrong, but we have to spin, like, <laughs> because we're so afraid of like what would happen if we tell the truth. Um, and I think for me, writing that chapter was like, I'm going to tell the truth and let the chips fall where they may. Um, I am out. I'm on the other side of this. And I like leaned into the pain of that in writing it. Uh, it. It just felt very much like catharsis. So I just wrote it because it's actually what happened. And I honestly, you know, Seth, I felt like people might be wondering what happened. I mean, I was a leader. Like, I, you know, I had, you know, I had students I was leading. I was in ministry. So I think people kind of see me now and they're like, oh, my gosh, you know, you've jumped ship. And I'm like, first of all, God is not a ship. God is the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> Ships are vessels we use to navigate God. And so we'll build a lot of them. <laughs> we'll probably jump a lot of ships on the way. So I think for me, having the opportunity to tell, this is what happened. And I will not let you write my story for me. Um, part of it was, I mean, you know, part in the shopping carts part, uh, my spiritual parents, what I don't write in the book is that they showed up at custody court when I lost my, when I left my mm. uh, ex, um, they showed up at court to testify on his behalf because I was queer. And they thought that my daughter was better off in an abusive home than a queer home. Mm. Um, so those were things that I was like, this has to be said because it's BS um, and there are people who feel like they have to stay in situations like this. Um, and so I need to tell people what I was feeling because I know I'm not alone. I know there's a lot of people that are experiencing that stuff. And it's real easy to do Christianity and excel in it when you're dissociated. Because, I mean, you get celebrated when you don't feel. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, come yeah. on, the most mature people are the ones that are the most stoic. Um, we kind of think of like, those who don't really aren't really moved by much, right? Those are the people we look up to. Um, so, so you're talking to me then. So, so I'm a five on the Enneagram, the stoic book guy of give me all the knowledge. And I, if I could be more frozen than like a Lutheran in my church and like, don't, don't you sway. There are no feelings though. What's weird is that juxtaposes with, I lead the worship at my church. And like, I will have like a spiritual breakdown internally where like, I will lose my breath mm. and then not remember like, minutes to hours afterwards because it's a, it's a thing and so there's something magical there so there's something in me that's fine with emotions i don't know what it is though um but yeah so what, you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll let it come out one day This isn't, this is, I feel like this is related to what you said is, is there a, a life? Uh, how do I say this? Cause it's not specifically in your book. Is there a life for the church in America or really in Western civilization divorced from capitalism? Because what you've described about performing, that's a capitalist mentality of I am the product consume me. 
um, which is horrible to say out loud, but I feel like that's right. And if I'm wrong, then that's my opinion and you don't have to agree. But is there life for the church outside of a capitalistic structure? Um, I, I, I know the answer is yes, because that was Acts yes. and Luke and the Bible, but that's not what we live in right now. I'm just going to be real. So do you yes. think that that's a thing? Can it be? A th I don't, I'm not educated enough to know if that's a thing. Okay. So all I can think about, I know this is going to be so uh, kind of bizarre, but all I can think about right now, these days is Revelation 17 and 18. Okay. Because you see the crumbling of this economic system and people are wailing and crying like, oh my God, how did, how did this happen? How did this beautiful thing that was so powerful and had all the riches and all the wealth, how did it crumble like this? But still, that's not the end, right, of this revelation John is having. And we know that, you know, lots of people have different interpretations of what revelation is talking about. But the gist is... That, that, that that's not the end. Yes, the, the empires crumble. You see it in Daniel 7, right? Mm -hmm. So the idea is that there is this, this kingdom that is unlike anything that it come that is cut from that comes from a rock that is uncut, like that's this everlasting kingdom that is pervasive, like, like a mustard seed, that the kingdom itself functions like leaven. I do think that um a church with new wineskins in America is the actual hope for America. America, as we know it, uh, just read Revelation 17 and 18. Like, mm -hmm. we are not immune to that. We are, you know, like, we're the Gentiles in the story. Like, we're not. And so when we think about that, I, I, I have really been kind of leaning in more and more to eschatological and apocalyptic, apocalyptic literature because of, just look at the landscape right now. And I'm thinking even of like the ways that I'm seeing passages play out um, differently than I did when I was in white evangelicalism. They were very metaphorical and very future. But for instance, an example of that would be what's happening in, in Tennessee right now. You know, the kids show up um, to Congress and they're singing songs about recognize me. <laughs> like we don't mm -hmm. we don't want back, back up. So let's assume rightfully so that I have no idea what you're talking about in Tennessee because I, I, I try to not watch the news because I don't want to be depressed. So like for real, I don't know what you just like. That's that's just rewind for a second. What is that for context for the idiots like me in the room? <laughs> so hundreds of kids in Tennessee, because, you know, there was a school shooting there. Yeah, I, yeah, that I'm aware of. Yes. Walk out and they show up at the uh, um, in the house or in the chambers and they start singing and telling lawmakers like, why won't you hear us? We are tired. We want you to care more about our lives than the money you get from the NRA. Mm. Right? And it was just this most beautiful. They're just there singing with posters, blah, 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 blah. And in my head, Malachi, before the coming of the Lord, the hearts of the fathers will be turned to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. Bruh, that is not some futuristic fanciful thing that is a lawmaker going i hear you and i'm actually going to respond in policy that too is revival <laughs> mm. but we don't talk about that right and so those types of things we think of america so like why jesus has made things so bifurcated that we don't recognize that baby we living in it right now like you don't mm. it's, like you're living in it <laughs> it's mm. happening look at the look at the um 
even the ecological crises that are happening, like this stuff is has been written. We are living it. Um, and so when I think about if there's hope for us, well, yeah, I have to believe so uh, because we're already living. We are living birth pains, right? Um, and the thing about birth pains is they get more intense and the time between the birth pains gets shorter as the baby is born. Now, I don't know what the baby looks like. I used to believe, you know, Jesus comes from the sky. I, I know, I might still believe that. I don't know what I believe that now, but I think that that's okay. I think that I can have um, an openness to however Jesus meant that um, and be open to it. I can't wait for new heavens and new earth. However that happens, whenever that happens, that's what I'm looking forward to. And I do believe there is hope for that. There has to be because I'm sitting here talking to you and my ancestors couldn't see this moment. Um, so I have to believe that there's a moment in the future where I will be glad and I will say, oh my gosh, they went from glory to glory. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I believe in the in- inherent progressive towards light and love towards hope and faith. I believe in that. I don't exactly know what that looks like, but mm-hmm. it's not gonna happen in a capitalistic uh, system. Yeah. Uh, you just can't have everybody you need at the table uh, for for that to happen when it's capitalism. Yeah, yeah. So I have a lot of thoughts about that. Mm. You got way off the topic of your book, but I'm going to say it anyway because we're in there. Um, yeah. But I don't know. Every podcast is weird. I don't script the questions. So the goal of these shows to me is that it's like we're getting a bourbon. We're just having one together, whatever it is you drink, and we just we just talking about the things. Um, okay. When I So one – I'm kind of I'm kind of upset myself that I did not know that about the news. But like when I see things like I have to disengage because like I I can't like yeah. I, there's a part of my brain that doesn't understand how um, I can worship a God that exists outside of time and space. We can operate on human beings with a robot from Richmond, Virginia, that happened to be in Pakistan on a military base and repair a knee or a heart or a hernia. Mm-hmm. but we can't fix these things that are preventable. Like, like the world is going to present its own problems. And, and tomorrow Friday is going to have its own set of problems for you, for me, for your kid, definitely for my kids. Cause one of my kids got a test and I know he ain't ready for it. Like that's coming. Why invite more problems through bad behavior? Right. Um, and like you said something at the end there that sounds a lot like Martin Luther King of, you know, the arc of, of the thing is that it, it, is, it bends towards justice. I, I'm not saying it right. I know I'm not saying it right. But I think that people think that that arc is like a rainbow and it bends with gravity, but it's not gravity that bends it. It's you and me. And I'm sure someone else has said that and I probably have it buried in my brain. It's not an original thought. I don't care. I'm taking it. I'm making it mine. Um, but like the Bible, I feel. So here's the thing. Um, I happen to be white and I happen to think I, I talked to Jesus, right? Yeah. For those of y'all that don't know, I'm also bald. So we are, we are all in it. Um, uh, I, be, those that worship a white Jesus worship a subset of a subset of a text of English translations of a subset of a subset of translations and forget that like, what is it like 80% of the scripture is how long, how long, why does this suck so much? Come on. Are you freaking listening mm-hmm. um and then they we just don't talk about any of those things and so like i i totally get you think like i'm all the time like when i'm watching like some mega church do a thing on on the thing or whatever i'm like they haven't read amos either they or either that or they read a different amos because there's a passage about gongs and all this stuff and anyway again we've, we've gotten off topic there but 
Um, yeah. So anyway, we're both going to start preaching in a minute. Um, so wilderness, I want to, I want to end with a few questions and then I'm going to go back to that first question that you never really answered about <laughs> what, what it's done for you. Um, so, so wilderness, um, to me means mm-hmm. different things and it just dawned on me now. So again, I said you were episode two, the last book that I taught, the last episode yeah. also is on the wilderness and I, that wasn't planned. And so maybe that says something about me. Maybe that says something about God and the spirit. I don't know. doesn't matter, but that's definitely an unplanned thing. And I don't think that coincidences are things. So subliminally something is happening all in this bald body. Um, <laughs> so what, what is, so the reason why I ask this is what is the purpose of the wilderness? And so here's why I say this. So uh, for me, unleavened bread, so there's no yeast in it, right? So it's, it's rigid. Um, it's simple. Uh, it can keep you alive, um, but it won't bring a lot of flavor. Now, that's just my opinion. But again, I'm a Texas boy. I want this grease. Um, wilderness does not seem a conducive place to make that fluffy Neapolitan pizza of bread. Um, but mixed in, but I understand the, the need for an unleavened faith because you have to disinfect it from all of that garbage that made it taste awful racism and power and bias and politics and money and probably just list money on seven more fingers that I don't have. So what is the purpose of wilderness? And then how can you and I engage in that in, I'm not going to say daily because let's be real. Nobody's going to do that, but it does need to be rhythmically. So how can we engage in wilderness? Yeah, I, I think that's a great question. I don't know. I can tell you what I think it means. Sure. Um, whenever Yahweh takes their people into the wilderness, um, in Song of Solomon, at the end, in, in chapter eight, she says, I'm, I'm coming up um, out of the wilderness, leaning on my beloved. When Hosea is talking with God, God says, I'm going to allure her to the wilderness, Um and betrothed her to me there. There is some sort of um, intimate connection that takes place with God in the wilderness because it is the most vulnerable place to be. You have, like, when you think of the context of the people who are writing these scriptures, the wilderness was scary as f. Okay, like animals can come out of nowhere. It gets super cold at night. It's super hot, arid. It's dry. I mean, to to trust God enough to follow them um, in the wilderness says a lot, right? Because now you've got to depend on a God who could be a cloud uh, by day. You've got to depend on, or at least trust that God could be a fire by night, that God can make water come out of a rock, <laughs> like that bread can come from the sky. You got to believe all kinds of bizarre things, but you have to say, to yourself, being in the wilderness is a sense in which you say, even this, even the unknowing, the vulnerability of uncertainty, of unknowing, and and not not really knowing if God is going to come through, and not really knowing where the hell we're going, <laughs> like mm. that that is better than enslavement in Egypt, even though the bread tastes better. <laughs> Even it's just like, even though it's more familiar and you do, you see these people kind of warring with that, right? You see them wrestling with like, is it better to be enslaved um, or free? (laughs) 
because freedom is a lot more vulnerable and we and we learn that we maybe we didn't want freedom we wanted what was familiar um and so what the wilderness does is it strips it forces you to confront yourself um and it forces you to meet god a god who's like if you're hungry like i can make bread come but will you but do you want to come out here and do you want to worship or do you want to be in egypt um it's also to me i think you know, they were used to following a tyrant, right? They were they were enslaved folk. So f- to be in the wilderness with a God whose shepherds, um, whose name is I am, like what kind of name is that anyway? Like it was such a weird place to try and learn and figure out God that I think that wilderness motif is so helpful for us now because when you come out, you emerge thinking differently about yourself, about God. Look, every time Israel went into some sort of exile or wandering, their even their faith looked different, right? Like, and it's so funny to me because you remember how important the temple was, the tabernacle and the temple, and then they get exiled to Babylon and they come back um, and they try to rebuild a temple, but a lot of folks stayed in Babylon and they figured out how to do faith there. And they build synagogues and they begin to put emphasis on Torah. Now, come on now. Like they, you know, Moses talked about like the temple has to be in place. Like the Holy of Holies is the place. So their entire way of doing worship changed. And nobody was like, y'all are um, disobeying the scriptures. Like God doesn't want this. Even Jesus shows up in a synagogue. Mm. (laughs) So like you have to think about the fact that the wilderness is the place where the wineskins are formed so that we can get this new wine, that we can contain it. Um, And I, I for one, am like, I'm not afraid of wilderness anymore because God um, comes through. Um, It it, it is the kind of the stage (laughs) for God to reveal himself. Um, And so I'm, I'm really thankful for that motif. Um, I see it a lot in the scriptures and I think it, it really just means you're going to get stripped and you're going to have to embrace the same things they had to embrace in the garden, which was the vulnerability um, and curiosity and not exploitation. Um, That's not how God's people are going to do things. I got to teach all that out here Mm. Um, so that when you build your own kingdom, hopefully you're not like um, the kingdom you left. Um, So that's, I don't know if that's. Yeah, no, no, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to give you another easy question because why not? Um, Yeah questions do i not have easy questions no. <laughs> uh, so uh, i don't know there's all this data in my head to me um and so it at random just comes back and so i um so so some context the only reason that this is in my head is because i need to learn how to do a thing so for christmas the family got together and they gave my family a pizza oven so on my back deck i have like my own legit and when I say legit, I mean like 16 inch little baby pizza oven. It's enough to make, make you think it's like a thousand degrees. So it'll make a pizza, but I've been trying to figure out how to make my dough. The one thing that I know about yeast is it will screw everything up. If you don't have enough, it will, um, or if you have too little, like it, it doesn't matter too much, too little, and it breaks it. Um, it, it, it just breaks it. Um, and so I can see a reason to have an unleavened pizza because I know what I'm going to get. It's a pita chip, but at least I know what I'm going to get. I'm going to dip it in hummus and we're going to be good. I know what to expect when I come to Jesus. Like it's predictable and I know what I'm getting and it's simple and that's fine. 
Um, but for me, it's not enough. And so what I know about yeast, it is a single cell organism. And so when I think about that as you as an active yeast or me as an active yeast, mm-hmm. or if the dude, wherever, or dudette, or human being that is listening is an active yeast, one single cell of the yeast of the body that you and I are, um, because you talked a lot about things breaking apart. And so my view of sin is that you and I make health with our decisions that break shalom. And I'm aware that I'm conscripting a lot of stuff from James in the Old Testament, and I'm just kind of merging it together. And I don't care because in Baptist faith and life, every believer is their own minister. And so it's a priesthood of all believers. And so I get to say what I want to say. That's probably heresy, but I don't care. It's my show. Okay. Um, do what? It's your podcast anyway. <laughs> correct. Correct. Um, but I do think that it's something that you and I make. So we can make heaven, we can make hell with our decisions, which makes the concept of yeast even more powerful for me. And so if you were to put one thing, one thing into your daily practice, my daily practice, or someone that is literally coming out of the wilderness and they're like, all right, cool. I feel like I'm in a good spot. Like I'm a blank slate. I know what I need to be doing. I hear the voice of the divine again. How do I not screw it up? Because something has to be the active yeast going forward to, to, to create new practices and new rhythms and, and more grace and more shalom. What is that one yeast? That's a horrible sentence, that one yeast. But hopefully, <laughs> hopefully the question makes sense. That did sound like kind of like a gross. Right? <laughs> That's a real, real, like locker room kind of feeling. <laughs> um, I mean the chemical yeast. <laughs> um, I think honesty. Mm. Yeah, like... I think that's what unleavened means. It means to be honest, unpretentious. Mm. Um, I think that's the one thing I'm committed to. Um, the way that I talk about my faith might change. Um, I might jump some more ships, <laughs> but honesty is what I'm committed to uh, because I think that's what God is committed to. Uh, and I think that's where I find the most connection with the divine is when I'm honest. Um, so that's what I would say. I think honesty is, is for mm. me, the thing I'm clinging to. You know, I can, I can see that in hindsight after reading the book that I read, but I did not know that that was the answer you're going to give. And I love that. Um, mm. I had my thoughts. I'm not going to share them. It doesn't matter. Um, but I like that. Uh, so I want to end with with just two other questions. Um, but I lost your book on my tab here. Hold on, I'm coming back to it. Here it is. Um, so in the epilogue, um, which this, I feel like I've read this twice. Have you written this elsewhere? The epilogue, the crucifixion of George Floyd? No. I don't. I don't. Okay. Maybe I just read it enough that it's in my bones. Um, but I like what you write in here and maybe again this no it's it's from kelly brown douglas so there's a part in here and i'm going to read it the the mathian i don't know if that's the way you say that word so don't correct me if it actually correct me is that the way you say that word the mathian Mathian, but you know it's just sure sure so it says the mathian question today might be but lord where did we see you dying and on the cross and jesus would answer on a florida sidewalk at a florida gas station on a michigan porch on a street in north carolina as you did it to one of these young black bodies, you did it to me. 
It's in the face of Trayvon dying on a sidewalk that we see Jesus dying on a cross. To know the extent of God's love, one must recognize the face of Jesus in the face of Trayvon. So can you go further? Like, how would you wrap more praxis to that? Because doing it that way is the way that I like to read the Bible. Like, am I, am I the guy inviting everybody to the banquet? Am I the dude in the street? Am I the one behind the fence looking at people going into the street being like, why are they all going in there? Like, I like to rip things apart. So can you flesh that out a bit more? Um, because to, to put it in that way, and it, it brings back so many memories of the things that you read, but you could equally change that sentence for one of the 176 or whatever it is, mass shootings that are outpacing the days in the year of 2023. There's literally more than there are days in the year. So you could just change the sentence or it, you could, at any time in if, anyway. Mm -hmm. Anything else that you would add or push further on that? First of all, I will never add anything to the very Reverend Kelly Brown Douglas. <laughs> KBD is the bomb. But I think the way that that hit me um, was that, man, when I think about George Floyd, I even think about how uh, uh, it was televised. And I immediately thought of Isaiah 53, that he was like one from whom we turned our faces away. A lot of people couldn't watch all nine minutes and 29 seconds. It's gruesome. Uh, it was a crucifixion though. And so when you watch this man cry out for his mom and suffocate to death, you need to be able to see Jesus there because mm -hmm. that's like what happened. This man somehow came up against the, the powers, the structures, the principalities, the values of the empire at that time that, you know, what James Cone talks about, that Jesus was ontologically Black, that that nothingness, that um, uh, despised, rejected, um, scorn, like Jesus is not a white, pretty man on a cross with his arms out. Jesus was brutally murdered, just like George Floyd was. Mm. And when that touches you, it's a game changer. Because now you, you literally, you're watching a lynching. And you need to be able to connect that that's what they're talking about in the Gospels. This scene right here is what they're talking about in the gospels. And if you can't see Jesus in that, that's you're not worshiping the right Jesus because this mm. is what happened to him. Um, and then you got to ask yourself why it happened. And if you're not even feeling rage about the fact that this happened to Trayvon Martin, who was minding his own business, you need to ask yourself what kind of Jesus you worship. Because if you cannot see Jesus in, in the Trayvon Martin, who is killed for no reason, right? Just being. Um, you're going to have a hard time being able to navigate the times in which we live. Uh, and so it's, it's, I love what KBD did because what she did is she brought it right to our face. She's like, y'all love to sing these songs and celebrate Easter and do all of this stuff. Y'all can't even watch George Floyd die. Like, seriously, y'all can't even look at this thing for more than one minute. It's too gruesome. I'm telling you, that's what happened to Jesus. And that, like my, Seth, my worship changed, my adoration, my honor 
my um, gratitude, my rage, um, all of that, when I can picture that happening uh, today, it changed everything for how I looked at Jesus, Joshua, the Nazarene. Um, because I suddenly realized like what actually happened to him. <laughs> uh, and let's be honest. I mean, we all watch the passion or whatever, but it's like, that wasn't it. I mean, it was, it was over the top. Let's mm. just be real. Mel Gibson's passion was really, really bloody, but there was something um, missing. And what was missing was the sense that you get when you watch this police brutality on the black body, because it was that level of vitriol. Um, it was that level of hatred to kneel on a man's neck and literally squeeze the life out of him with your hands in your pockets. That is Isaiah 53. That is what happened to our Lord. Um, and if we'll let it, it will revolutionize our worship in the way we do faith. Mm. It did it for me. I mean, <laughs> the way I think about Jesus now is completely different. I didn't have I didn't have a container for really what really happened to him. And now I do. Mm. Um, mm. So in one ways, in one way, the redemption that comes from Jesus's death and George Floyd, I mean, it doesn't make it right that they were killed, right? Like we don't want to make that pretty. It was brutal and unnecessary. Um, but it is what happens um, when, when the leaven of whiteness is leading and ruling. Yeah. 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 hundred percent. Um, so last easy question, when you try to put words around whatever it is, God, the divine, whatever word that is not an adjective, when you try to, when you try to wrap words around whatever that is, what is it? Well, it's in the book, but everything we hope they are. God is everything we hope God is. I like it. I like it. No, it's good. I like it. That's where Jonathan cried, by the way. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know why. Something. It was in the middle of COVID, and it had been a minute since anybody had really been out of the house and worshipped, and it was just it was, it was beautiful. It's one of my favorite moments on the show, actually, um, You know, being a part of that. So, um, Demise. Um, you've had something that says subculture behind you for the entire time. So this is where I'm going to get you to say, Hey, do the things y'all, y'all for real. Um, um, I, I don't ever have someone on to talk about a book that they've written. If I don't genuinely think that you should read it. Um, there are also some other books after you read this one that you should also go into because to me earlier mentioned like the way that laws are structured, et cetera, in which I would recommend fortune from Lisa Sharon Harper. Yes. Um, if you want to talk about laws specifically, because we happen to both live in Virginia, like, let's just be real. Like, Oh, I don't like that law. I'm going to change that law because I'm going to change that law. Anyway. Um, Virginia you, lovers. Yeah. They love in something. Um, well, that's just an advertising slogan. Virginia is for money. Um, and that's yeah. fine because so is Texas. And California and Alaska, North Dakota and Canada and Mexico and um, all, all of them, all of them. Um, and that's, it is what it is. But where do you want people to go? What do you want people to do? Um, I realize I have one other question, but we don't have to record it because it's just a sarcastic question. But before I ask that, where do you want people to go? And do uh, I want them to go to subcultureinc.org and I want them to hit donate. <laughs> so <laughs> 
that's real talk. Uh, subculture is is trying to keep black college students in school. Uh, my ministry work showed me that there was just stuff that they faced that the counterparts did not face. Um, and I really got tired of having to like help them move out of their dorms because they had an emergency come up and they couldn't deal with it. And so basically decided to fix that by creating an organization that comes in when they face a crisis. Um, and so we raise support, we have mentorship programs. We're um, trying to get them to and through. Uh, and I think for me, that is equity work because I think them graduating is what puts them on a career trajectory, which will help them in turn create wealth for themselves and families and actually kind of make a life here. Um, but they don't have to worship the mammon <laughs> to use it. Uh, and so we're trying to navigate what that looks like in terms of how we do our programming. So Subculture Inc. Uh, and then also, yeah, get the book. I think you it's good. The book. I agree. I agree. <laughs> this, so I went to, so I, I did what you told me to do because yeah. I, I, I follow the rules. <laughs> this is so you make like this is you like you founded this or it's you and other people like now nah, I really want to talk about this and this isn't even the show like I'm on the website right now um like this is you this is amazing um I'm I, I'm a night owl so I'm gonna spend the rest of my time till I fall asleep playing around on here is this this is just you or is there a group of people like how is it backed besides like crowdfunding like it like tell me more about this yeah, so in 2018, when I had my daughter, I, I left staff uh, with a large ministry organization and uh, started subculture because I just couldn't, I couldn't keep telling the kids that about good news that was theoretical. Um, and then I came across this quote, the Desmond Tutu quote about how the good news to a hungry person is bread. <laughs> um, mm. and so I just couldn't do it. And then as a staff worker, I was raising support. So I couldn't help them. Um, and I just got tired of like talking about a God that comes through, but not ever being able to demonstrate that. So in 2018, I just started a crisis relief, like sort of organization that would come alongside. Um, and so when a student faced a crisis, now they had a resource that they could go to to buy the flight home for the funeral or, you know, those types of things. Um, and so I started that, but then I started to think about how do we build an entire web of support um, around these students? Um, and that's that's essentially kind of what we grew into. Mm. Uh, so we're trying to say, we want to be the web of support. We don't want to be a savior. We just want to be the web of support um, because we know you got it. Like you got this, you just might not have the social capital or you might not have the ability to rise to an, a, a crisis or an emergency. So we're saying, we got you. Um, hmm. just keep going to school and graduate and like, you know, cause some restorative change <laughs> in the earth. And I, I just love it. And it's, hmm. I mean, our reward is incredible, but yeah, it was just me, just little old me grassroots. We lost a lot of money when I came out. So please click that donate button. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Huh. That's insane. Yeah. I'm, I'm all about this. Yeah. This is, um, this is excellent. Um, in a different, in a different context, I'd like to talk to you more about that. Um, but yeah, cool. Demise, I'm going to stop hitting record in a minute before I do. Thank you for your time. I'm aware that not everybody likes to do things late at night like I do. Um, but via email, I kind of told you what my life looks like with little league and softball and everything. I just, when I started this show, only two of my three kids were alive and all of them were under the age of six. And so the free time was abiding. And, and now it is, I have that just, it's not a thing. Um, it's just not a thing. So thanks for being on late at night with me. I really have enjoyed our time very much so.
Now, I haven't added it up, but there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of podcasts on the internet, and I am humbled that you continue to download this one. If this is your first time here, please know that there are transcripts of these shows. Not always in real time, but I do my best. And if you go back in the logs, you can find transcripts for pretty much any episode that you'd like. The show is recorded and edited by me, but it is produced by the patron supporters of the show. That is one of the best, if not the best way that you can support the show. If you get anything at all out of these episodes, if you think on them or if you, you know, you're out and about and you tell your friends about it or, hey, mom, dad, brother, sister, friend, boss, pastor, here's what I heard. What are your thoughts on that? If this is helping you in any way, and it is helping me, consider supporting the show in that manner. It is extremely inexpensive, but collectively, it is so very much helpful. Now for you, I pray that you are blessed and you know that you're cherished and beloved. We'll talk soon.